The Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Rob McConnell's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Exxon Radio Show or endorsed in any manner by Rob McConnell, Relmar McConnell Media Company, the Exxon Broadcast Network, its affiliated networks, stations, employees, or advertisers. Welcome to the X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. And welcome to the Exxon, everyone. I am Rob McConnell, and for the next four hours, I'm going to be your host and your guide as together we cross the time-space continuum to this place that I call the Exxon. It's a place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. It's a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. And the Exxon comes to you Monday through Friday from 10 p.m. Eastern until 2 a.m. Eastern right here on the Exxon Broadcast Network, Talkstar Radio Network, Mutual Broadcast Network, and iHeartRadio. If you'd like to uh, send us an email, exxon at exxonradiotv.com, on all social media sites, Exxon Radio TV. And to find out about the great programming we have available for you on the Exxon Broadcast Network, check us out at www.xzbn.net. My guest this hour, Exxon Nation, is Joshua Cutchin. He is a North Carolina native with a long and long-standing interest in Fortina. He holds a master's in music literature and a master's in journalism from the University of Georgia and currently resides in Roswell, Georgia. He is the author of two books, 2015's A Trojan Feast, The Food and Drink Offerings of Aliens, Fairies, and Sasquatch, which has been translated into Spanish, and 2016's The Brimstone Deceit, an in-depth examination of the supernatural sense, otherworldly odors, and monstrous... Miasma. Did I say that right? I guess so. <laughs> yeah, miasmas. Miasmas, okay. Both are published by Anomalist uh, Books. Joshua is also a contributor to Robbie Graham's 2017 collection of ufological essays, UFOs, Reframing the Debate. And joining me now from North Carolina is Joshua Cutchin. And Joshua, welcome to the X-Zone. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Gee, where'd you go? Jo- Hello? Yeah, you, Joshua, you're cutting in and out. We don't know what's going on over here. Strange. Uh, hmm. Yeah, it's, it's the aliens. I'll try, sh- I'll try to shut down as much stuff as I can. <laughs> All righty. Always men in black interference is what it always is. Oh, okay. So, uh, so tell me, um, what got you interested in writing books on the paranormal? Well, you know, I've always had a sort of a an interest in... Well, basically, I was a monster kid. You know, mm-hmm. I was always into any film that was a creature feature. I was all over. So that sort of naturally, uh, I think, if you're if you're following the threads, that naturally will take you into the realm of UFOs and Bigfoot and such things. Um, but I've always been a fan of you know uh, this sort of speculative notion, looking into different sort of Fortean events. Um, and uh, it was back in, I believe, 2014. Um, I had just picked up 
a uh, a book by uh, J. Robert Alley, uh, Raincoast Sasquatch, which is a great book for anybody who wants to look in, look into the sort of Sasquatch phenomena along Alaska's uh, southeastern coast, southwestern coast, rather. Um, but uh, I, I had picked up the book, and I re- remember distinctly coming across a passage that really gave me pause, which was this belief that among certain tribes, uh, if you were to, to accept food from the Bukwus, which was their version of the wild hairy man, the, the Sasquatch, if you were to accept food from them, you would be trapped forever with the Bukwus and would become a, a Bukwus. And this immediately uh, set off some alarm bells in my in my brain about um, about the parallels with, between that and the Celtic fairy faith, which was this idea that if you were to uh, accept food uh, from the good folk in Ireland, if you're mm-hmm. walking down a lone country lane one night or something along those lines, and you were to encounter them and they were to offer you a bit of bread or something to eat or drink, if you were to consume what they gave you, you'd actually be stuck with them in their realm forever. Oh. And I found that really interesting that – You'd have these two cultures, uh, and as it turns out, it's actually a wor- worldwide phenomena um, that both had this taboo of accepting food from uh, from supernatural entities. I thought that was really, really compelling, and that was a thread that I thought was deserving of you know being pulled on. Um, but I'll never forget uh, sitting there for like a month and you know being like, well, somebody's got to write a book about this sometime. Yeah. And, yeah. I, and I looked, I looked, I looked, I started doing a search on the internet. I'm like, nobody's actually really dug into this. So, uh, wow. that's, uh, that's what prompted me to, uh, to write, uh, to write a Trojan feast, uh, which came out in 2018 and was my first book. And, you know, after you do that, uh, your name is sullied by the paranormal and the die is cast. So mm-hmm. you just got to double down on all that sort of thing. So what kind of food is actually taboo? Um, well, it depends. It, it, it's more about the uh, the entity being given food, that's the entity giving the food rather than the food itself. Um, in my uh, in my survey and analysis of the sort of food involved in these uh, paranormal encounters, mm-hmm. uh, again of aliens, fairies, and Sasquatch, there was a, some rough correlations that I found just in terms of uh, the the the. Uh, the things that were most likely offered. Um, liquids are a huge uh, factor in a lot of these encounters. Uh, people being given something to drink, um, especially in you know alien and fairy encounters. Um, then grain products, um, and uh, then uh, fruits and vegetables. Very rarely do you see meat, except with the exception of, of the, the Sasquatch phenomena. Um, so while there's a lot of legends that suggest that there are similar food taboos uh, between uh, Sasquatch and things like the and things like the fairy folk. Um, it definitely seems that, in terms of the way that plays out, in terms of actual encounters or alleged encounters, perhaps I should say, um, that uh, the, the the types of foods being offered in those examples are are not one of the same. Um, and you know, there there isn't usually an explicit food. Only in one or two cases that I found an explicit food taboo amongst uh, abductees and contactees of the of the abduction experience. Um, but there still is this this propensity for foods and drinks to be offered, which I think would should 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 give anyone who's interested in in the unexplained a, a bit of a pause if these sort of stories are true. You know, people aren't being given this for some sort of nourishment or anything. Uh, you know, these encounters right. are even when you have vast spans of missing time, you're usually dealing with something that's five mm-hmm. hours or, or less. So why are people being given? Food and drink, and these sort of uh, these sort of uh, marginal encounters, these anomalous encounters, seems to suggest to me that it's to perhaps facilitate some sort of um, some sort of reaction in the witness. Now, whether that's you know a metaphysical reaction or a physical reaction, uh, that's definitely up for debate, and something that I tried to dig into in the book. Are these events still happening today? 
Yes. Um, you know, I, uh, I was able to, if, if you're familiar with, uh, Alberto Rosales's um, uh, uh, humanoid index, mm -hmm. um, uh, it's, it's a great, uh, it's a great collection of, uh, encounters, uh, that Albert has put together, um, of, of different sort of, uh, entity, entity encounters. And, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. He actually uh, has taken a lot of them down, but you'll find accounts. I mean, I, I remember one that was from 2007, uh, a witness recalled that when he was a kid, he had been given some sort of white liquid that looked like milk, but had this awful taste, uh, when he was, when he was a child. Um, there was a, actually a really interesting, um, encounter of a young girl from Iceland named Otter, uh, Goodman's daughter, uh, who was, uh, playing amongst some boulders. And this was in 2000 or 2002, I think. And uh, she actually fell amongst the boulders and said that a door opened, a small door and one of the boulders opened up. And this small figure about waist high came out and invited the girl into the boulder where she shared with her a spiral shaped cake and some quote unquote funny banana juice. And she claimed to continue to interact with the elves from then on, um, you know, on face value, absurd story, but, um, you know, it's 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 interesting if 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 you reframe these ideas as perhaps mm -hmm. not necessarily taking place in a physical uh, space, it makes a lot of these a lot of these uh, a lot of these tales a little bit easier to swallow. <laughs> Pardon the pun. Um, but uh, you know, even more interesting is the fact that right there in, the, in that anecdote that really upholds the uh, the trend that I saw: uh, a baked good, so some form of bread, the spiral shaped cake, and some funny banana juice, fruit and liquid. You know, all all three of the things are right there in that, uh, in that constellation. So these, these sort of encounters still happen today. I mean, there's, um, surprisingly enough, fairy encounters still happen today with, with a lot more frequency than people realize. But is there any evidence that these are actually happening and they're just not figments of people's imagination? Well, I mean, you know, in a lot of ways, there's as much evidence, well, not in the modern era, okay. But there is as much physical evidence for fairy interaction as there has been for uh, for you know UFO abduction. I mean, in all these stories, we are really relying upon witness testimony and anecdotes, which again makes me suspect that there is an objective reality to this, but it's not necessarily taking place in our physical reality. Is personally the line of speculation that I go down nowadays. Um, but, you know, having said that, uh, there is no shortage of physical evidence of, you know, fairy folk encounters stretching all the way back into antiquity and from things such as tiny chalices, fairy mm -hmm. flags, tiny jerkins, tiny coats, tiny shoes, uh, the, the, the leather products, the tiny shoes that I, I always found interesting because they were analyzed and be and found to be made of mouse leather, which <laughs> if you're going to, if you're going to fashion a hoax, I don't think you'd bother killing a mouse and tanning its little hide between two toothpicks or something. Um, but you know, again, even having said that, I, I find some of those articles, a little bit hard to entertain as not being something like a hoax, just as I personally have a lot of difficulty, um, difficulty entertaining some of the, uh, some of the alien implants that have supposedly been recovered and some things like that. I, I, sometimes I wonder if what we're dealing with isn't a, um, non-physical phenomena that can interact, um, in a tricksterish way with the physical world. All right, stand by. We've got to take our break. We'll be right back. Exxon Nation jo Joshua Cutchin is our special guest. www.joshuacutchin.com. And uh, we'll be back on the other side of this oh, a few second break as the Exxon continues from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away. 
Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. You have heard of the X-Zone? Now watch it on TV, plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand worldwide and more does this sound like tomorrow's television well it is but you can have it today right now it is simul tv simul tv offers what the others only wish they could provide 15 exclusive channels like exxon sci-fi and horror we are worldwide no other provider offers that 500 built-in video games no need to have an extra expensive system we have them included free video on demand live streaming events from around the world, interactive online network, and much more. Tomorrow's TV today, Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at simultv.com. Do it today. Modern Esoteric, Beyond Our Senses by Brad Olson, consummates the lifeology story about where humanity originates. It is the lost continents, the primitive wisdom, the mythos of creation, and the rethinking of ancient history as we are taught in academia. There is much more to the story than what we have been told. As this is the first book in the Esoteric series, Modern Esoteric starts at the beginning of time and accelerates up to this modern age. Future Esoteric is book two in the series and takes a forward-looking position ahead of today with an open and honest examination of the ET issue and various unexplained phenomena. To discover the writings of author Brad Olson, visit www.bradolson.com. That's www.bradolson.com. Welcome back, everyone. This is the Exxon. I am Rob McConnell. Our guest this hour is Joshua Cutchin. His website is joshuacutchin.com. Um, you know, throughout time, you know, the breaking of bread, you know, uh, when you go to somebody's house, you offer them a cup of tea or a cup of coffee. And food has always played a very important part in society. So why wouldn't people want to exchange pleasantries or greetings with other people or other things in order to get to know them better. Oh, that, that, that's absolutely even a component of it. I mean, uh, bread and salt mm-hmm. have been a central feature of a lot of Eurasian hospitality rights. Right. You know, I think that, I think that if you look at this concept, so the, the book was sort of, uh, encouraged by this 
underlying notion of the food taboo, which I mentioned in Fairy Folk and I mentioned in the Sasquatch Legends. And you'll find this like literally sp- spread all across the globe, um, you know, uh, Oceania, uh, Australia, um, Africa, North America, South America, different European myths uh, from Israel to, uh, to Scandinavia. Mm-hmm. And a lot of anthropologists will tell you that this has its origins in the myth of Persephone, who was taken to the underworld in Greek myth by Hades and uh, was given a pomegranate seed. And before she was able to leave the, uh, the underworld, she actually consumed the pomegranate seed. And therefore, she was trapped with Hades uh, all but, I believe, one day every year, um, which is a fine example. I think that, um, you know, I, I think I, I have trouble buying that explanation for such far-flung locales as you know as North America, <laughs> I can I can buy that idea of diffusing. Well, is is it, is it but, possible? Is it possible that what we're talking about here are metaphors, and that the well, I, version I of reality entirely, yeah. doesn't exist here? Yeah, I think that I think that sort of circling back around to your initial question, mm-hmm. I think that the Persephone myth is getting at something that's even a little bit deeper, which is the idea that if you break bread with a people or a non-person in this case, if you break bread with these, with these, uh, with another tribe, essentially, um, that you are sort of accepted into their, um, into their, into their grace. And you are actually, you know, sort of, if you, if you break bread with them, then you should be prepared for the consequences of being with them. And I think that's really what the Persephone myth and a lot of these worldwide motifs are getting at. Um, you know, at the same time, uh, I, I, I think it's interesting that this motif uh, rears its head with communion with the other world, as opposed to necessarily communion with, with other, uh, you know, uh, physical human tribes and such and whatnot. Um, but yeah, I do think that there's a strong motivic component, a strong psychological component uh, to a lot of these stories. Okay. Um, all right. When, when you go to somebody's house, you break bread with them, whether they're uh, your culture or not. So why is there a negative connotation to this? I'm having a problem trying to figure out why it's negative and not looked at as a positive thing. Yeah, that's a good question. I think that it's just, I think that it's just in general, um, I think that in general it's just suspicion of anything new. Um, it's interesting. You'll find in terms of the way that a lot of these motifs are expressed, um, oftentimes it's this idea that, uh, that you're interacting with the uh, with the underworld, um, with this idea that you're actually interacting with the, the realm of souls. Um, uh, for example, it was uh, it was I believe it was in New Caledonia. Um, it was a tribal belief that you could go visit a loved one after their death, which it would be fine. But if you ate any of their food, you would actually be one and one, one, uh, one and the same with them. Okay. So it's almost this idea that the food has some sort of transformative uh, capacity. I speculate in a lot of ways. I mean, if you look at, if you look at some, some of these stories, you'll find that people in these stories were able to return home in these myths and legends. Um, Mm -hmm. But once they returned home, they were inevitably changed or they were driven mad or they pined away for the beauty of fairyland or something along those, along along those lines. Um, So it's almost this idea that you could in fact return home. And obviously if you're going to link fairy lore and alien lore, which I think if you do a deep dive into both, you kind of have to, you kind of have to accept that they're describing the same phenomena. Um, A lot of alien abductees and contactees all return home 
to you know to, they they're not trapped with aliens forever. So is this an expression of this idea that you'll be with fairy folk with 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 the other world with the spirit world forever when you consume food? Is that saying that you'll be forever changed? You can't return home in that sense. Or is it saying that you'll be a lifelong experiencer of those things? Or is it saying that, uh, you know, I mean, it's interesting. Um, a lot of people don't really like to talk about this, but a lot of abductees and contactees return from their experiences with uh, increased psi phenomena, which, I mean, definitely means that you can't go back to the way things were before your experience. So I speculate maybe that's some reason that it's not as, it's not mm-hmm. as literal nor as sinister as uh, as a lot of these ancient folk beliefs would have us uh, would lead us to believe. Well, don't forget the ancients didn't know one tenth of the knowledge that we know today. So therefore, they could know about the many. Um, for example, they 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 didn't know about quantum physics. They were not that sharp when it came to deep space uh, astronomy. They weren't up to date in the maths and the physics and the chemistry and and everything else that we are aware of today. That's that's a good point. Although I'm 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 uh, I will withhold a little bit of judgment on that, given some of the very profound alignments that you'll find in 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 the realm of ancient civilizations, and a lot of the evidence that suggests that perhaps there was an advanced civilization, perhaps not advanced in the same ways that we are, but mm-hmm. an advanced civilization uh, prior to some sort of large asteroidal impact. But uh, I I definitely definitely take your meaning. I mean the the uh, I think that the nuts and bolts side of uh, understanding the way that the universe works was definitely a shortcoming in antiquity for the most part. Um, how much credence do you give to alien abductees? That's a good question. That's a hard-hitting question. Um, I feel like I've fostered a little bit of a reputation as being uh, very much on the non-nuts and bolts uh, UFO experience uh, 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 camp. Now, what do you mean um, by that? You, sorry, go ahead. What? what do you mean by that, non-nuts and bolt? Um, well, I suspect that... So basically the way that I have been – I have come to see the UFO phenomena is mm-hmm. I, I personally see a lot of um, a lot of sightings of lights in the sky of what appear to be craft. I per- personally am led to believe that the lion's share of those are either misidentifications mm-hmm. or um, perhaps uh, you know unorthodox um, test aircraft um, or – currently, you know, um, uh, natural phenomena that we don't quite understand. Right. Um, I'm still leaving some wiggle room for there to be something genuinely anomalous in there. And I'm not, you know, I'm not saying that there hasn't been alien visitation in the past nor that it doesn't happen. But I think that that entire experience of seeing strange lights in the sky, strange craft in the sky, many times um, is not what we are observing when we observe the abduction phenomena, particularly um, when, you know, people are, see just, uh, you know, when, when they're in their bedroom and they have mm-hmm. bedroom intruders or something like that. It seems to me, after looking at um, a lot of the alien abduction encounters, that it what you see is much more akin to not only the, the stuff that we talk about that we see in the fairy faith, but right. also um, shamanic awakenings. I mean, if you look at those motivically, um, in a variety of animistic tribes across the globe, you have someone who was selected by entities, taken to a brightly colored space, dismembered and put back together, usually with some sort of magical crystal or something, uh, and then returned to the tribe where they then ex- they then ex- start expressing their you know psychic abilities. And that seems to be a pretty close match um, to the abduction experience. This has been explored by uh, Eddie Bullard 
at great length. And uh, Mike Cleland is also doing some really good work uh, with sort of looking at the shamanic angle as well. Um, and, you know, you'll find, speaking of sh shamanism, you'll find people who have experiences very similar to the to um, the alien abduction experience in, in during ayahuasca sessions where people are put into altered states of consciousness uh, with, uh, with basically what we would call a psychedelic brew. Um, so to me, that seems to have a lot less to do with black triangles in the sky uh, than what we would be led to believe. Not that the two phenomena don't occur in conjunction sometimes, but uh, the actual uh, lion's share of abduction experiences don't necessarily mm -hmm. always feature uh, what appear to be in a spacecraft. But how can we give credibility to any claims that are, are related to us after a psychedelic experience? I'm sorry, I repeat that again. You broke how, how can we give any valid validity to any claim that is made while under a um an experience that has been you know conducted under psychedelic experience and psychedelic drugs psychedelic chemistry well you know i think the i think the very fundamental um the very fundamental uh separation that you have to put between those two is the difference between what is a hallucinogenic and what is a psychedelic the, psych the hallucinogenic experience tends to be where people don't actually realize that they're seeing something that is artificial mm -hmm. or rather for lack of a better term seeing something that isn't part of their reality the psych during psychedelic experiences people are generally entirely aware that what they're seeing doesn't match up with consensus reality having said that um you know there's a lot of again all we've got anecdotal evidence in a lot of these cases, but a lot of anecdotal evidence of people, especially in ayahuasca situations, um, drinking ayahuasca and receiving a message uh, that uh, that uh, they would not would not have any other sort of knowledge of knowing. Um, but how do we know that? Was, because they go there with the anticipation of receiving a message. Well, I, what I was going to say was uh, there's a compelling case by uh, Kenneth Kinzinger who was uh, told by six ayahuasca drinkers after one of their sessions mm -hmm. that his maternal grandmother had died. And that fact was confirmed via radio. They were in the heart of the Amazon uh, two days later. Uh, so there, you do have uh, examples of that um, where people have some sort of information uh, that they are uh, that there's some sort of uh, genuine objective reality there. You also find something that's not at all uncommon uh, in, in things like the DMT experience, and even more common in the psilocybin mushroom experience, um, is uh, the uh, these is examples when two people actually experience seeing the same thing. All now, right, stand by. We've got to take our news break at sure. the bottom of the hour. This is the Exxon. I am Rob McConnell, and we're coming to you from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. We'll be back right after this news break. Don't go away. Broadcast studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, to the world and beyond. You're watching the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. The scientist and the mystic have been on an age-old, relentless search with one thing in common. They seek truth. Their paths converge in the 40,000-year-old practice of shamanism, an ancient science delving to the quantum level of life, facilitating healing, manifestation, and evolution. 
I'm Gwilda Wiecka, the founder and director of Path Home Shamanic Arts School, a unique Colorado State certified occupational school training shamanic practitioners and teachers. We also provide classes for empowering personal lives through shamanism. Our certification classes are in week-long segments, enabling international participation, and online classes and long-distance shamanic healing sessions are available. Come discover the science of magic in the limitless world of shamanism. www.findyourpathhome.com Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone radio show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the X-Zone broadcast network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. Rob McConnell here, presenting an overview for Nicholas Paul Jinnix, author of a fascinating book, Amen. It presents facts revealed by Egyptologists, facts that enable us to understand why Amen is the beginning of creation of God. It provides recommendations for religious leaders of the major religions to unify their beliefs and teach the word of God, love one another. Amen informs people how mankind conceived God. It was the Egyptians that developed the concepts of a soul, a hereafter, and son of God, and finally, After the worship of many gods, they conceived the belief in one universal God, the maker of all there is. For more information, visit www.futureofgodamen.com. That's www.futureofgodamen.com. Exonation Joshua Cutchin is our special guest. His website is joshuacutchin.com. Let me ask you this, Joshua. Why do people need to take mind-enhancing drugs or concoctions if, in fact, what they are seeing is real? Why do they need to be, why do they need to be stoned in order to get these messages? Well, it's interesting. I mean, you'll find spiritual uh, spiritual. Um, correlations throughout a, a variety of different uh, disciplines. I mean, they're the entire Hindu concept of Maya, this idea that a veil is deliberately put in front of our faces to obscure the true nature of reality for, from us, um, is is a really common idea that I think has a lot of uh, powerful uh, symbolism for for the for the psychedelic experience. Really, basically, what psychedelics do from anyone who has taken them, and I personally haven't taken any myself. So again, this is <laughs> this is double anecdote, double hearsay for me. But um, from what I understand, uh, it's the same sort of altered state that can be achieved through a regimented, uh, dedicated 
uh, process of, of learning how to meditate to achieve these sort of altered states of consciousness. It's interesting. If you look at the effect of a lot of these uh, psychedelics on brain activity, again, particularly looking at psilocybin mushrooms, um, the level of brain activity actually decreases, which is not what scientists mm -hmm. at all ex expected to see in terms of the firing of neurons and whatnot. They expected that because you're having such vivid hallucinations that brain activity was actually increasing. So a lot of uh, consciousness theorists nowadays speculate that perhaps the psychedelic experience is actually sort of removing a filter and that a lot of what our brains are set up to and designed to do is is uh, filter a lot of the everyday experience of, of of what true reality is and that somehow this is piercing that veil okay so um once again it's it, i find it rather confusing that if uh you know if people are seeking spiritual visions or spiritual guidance or if they want to know more about spirituality why they need mind-altering drugs to do it if this spirituality is actually part of our existence well in a western sense well there are a couple of different ways that you can look at this in the western sense that makes sense because it's that's not i mean that's you're right that's not a part of you know that's not a part of modern uh, islam or modern christianity or modern judaism if you look mm -hmm. at um if you look at shamanistic cultures the world wide over uh uh, you know, thinking of the classic examples of Siberia, of uh, the Amazon basin, um, of Africa, every one of these traditions uses uh, some sort of psychedelic as a form of divination. There's actually been speculation that a lot of early Christian teachings started out as being related to mushroom cults. Now, I'm I'm a Christian myself, so I don't necessarily believe that that's the entire. Um, well, it's not my personal belief that that's the entire. Uh, beginning of, you know, the, the entire conception behind eat my body, you know, eat my flesh, that sort of communion. But I have to admit, it's a compelling idea. Um, the idea that there were actually, um, there's some, there's a book that's out about um, speculating that perhaps early uh, Christian sects actually used to dig up the bodies of saints and find uh, certain fungus around the cemeteries and actually would consume those, uh, those mushrooms and actually have these, you know, these, these visions. But if you look at a lot of old world particularly in France and Germany, if you look at a lot of old world cathedral art, you'll actually find um, depictions of uh, mushrooms in the Garden of Eden, uh, which suggests that the mushroom was the original um, sort of uh, apple from the from the tree of from the tree of knowledge. Now, of course, as time has gone by, um, that one on one spiritual I'll also use the word again, that one-on-one -on -one sort of spiritual communion, uh, mm -hmm. for lack of a better term, uh, has been sort of usurped by uh, clergy preferring to act as the gatekeepers between individuals and their uh, and their their uh, spiritual experience. But in Eastern traditions, you don't see that. There's much more of a hands-on, one-to-one ratio. And again, in sort of tribal and shamanistic communities, you don't see that at all. Um, so it's something that as religions get older and more codified— and a little bit more dogmatic, this psychedelic aspect usually tends to go away. But I mean, you can even technically view the presence of, uh, this is something that Jung talked about. Jung, Jung said that the presence of wine in the communion, in, in the, uh, the Christian communion, is something that is an integral part of it. And if you're a true Christian, you should feel that the wine should remain there because that sort of heady intoxication allows, uh, sort of drops inhibitions enough to allow people to actually, um, to actually 
perhaps be have a little bit greater spiritual insight. Mm. Not that when I drink, I normally have greater spiritual insight, but you know, Jung's a smart guy. So. Well, yeah, but he wasn't always right either. Just like Einstein wasn't always right. It seems that society True. remembers the points that they were right or the points that they tend to believe. But you know, there's many times, whether it be Edgar Casey, Edgar Casey, everybody heralds him as a sleeping prophet. He was only right 63% of the time. Right. You know, and right. society society likes to bend the rules to fit its own um, its own ways of perceiving what that rule is. So you know, I, I don't agree with Young when it comes to the wine at the uh, at the uh, sacrament. I, I don't agree with that at all. And I, for one, can't understand why people look at shamans, especially the ones in the des uh, not in the deserts, but but. Yeah, let's look at the the North American native shamans in the middle of nowhere with basically nothing to do. Then you've got the shamans in uh, the Amazon. What else are they going to do? Why do we put so much reverence, so much faith, and so much attention in what these people are doing? Well, I mean, I think that if you look at so let's let's take one subset of that. Let's take the Amazonian river basin. Okay. Um, and let's take a look at the ayahuasca experience, because I think that this is this is sort of indicative of of the idea that the shamanic cultures might be onto something. You'll find of the hundreds of thousands of uh, plants in the Amazonian jungle, uh, many of them contain dimethyltryptamine, the active component, which is also produced in our bodies, which some people suspect an endogenous release of might actually allow people to have a spiritual experience. A lot of these plants in the Amazon. Uh, contain DMT. In fact, mm -hmm. most of the things on your salad contain small amounts of DMT. But of the hundreds of thousands of plants uh, in the Amazon River Basin, uh, they were able to find the one with a potent enough amount of DMT plus the one uh, component vine, Benisteriopsis copy, which contains an MAO inhibitor, which actually allows DMT to be absorbed through the stomach. They were able to combine those two plants. And think about, you know, if I think about math handshake problems that you had to do in middle school or something, this boggles my mind how much trial and error this must have taken. But they were able to find the two plants that um, that actually work together in synthesis to allow the substance to be uh, internally uh, absorbed through the lining of the stomach. But can't we say and the same thing about the discovery of the coca bean, the discovery of the coffee bean, the discovery of the tea leaf, the discovery of, of the of rice? You know, not in that not in that handshake problem sort of way though. And really, the interesting thing is that you will find, and this is this is an entirely different different sort of rabbit hole that we could go down. But you do find people with these 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 experiences of having uh, psychedelic experiences that are objectively confirmed either by other people on similar substances at the time or by receiving some sort of knowledge of something that they uh, receive word of later, of confirmation of later. And in a lot of ways, in that sense, it's similar to uh, you'll find. Uh, you find some near-death experiencers will actually learn. Um, this is sort of a different subject, but kind of related. You'll find that near-death experiencers will actually receive knowledge of a loved one or a friend or a relative who has passed away that no one else around them knows. But when they come back from their near-death experiences, they say, "I think there's a problem with so and so." They reach out to that person's family, and yes, mm -hmm. they just passed away too before they were able to receive word as well. So there are these occasional. Uh, examples of vertical uh, confirmation that, that make the experience seem like it has a little bit more weight um, than usual. If if the person says, I think, then there's a, there, there's the 
the word, I think, well, maybe there is, maybe there isn't. They have a 50-50 chance of getting that right. If they come back and they said, a, B, you know, Aunt Mary just died. Call up Aunt Mary Stead. Wow, that to me is amazing. But when people come out of a trance or they come back from a near-death experience or whatever the case, when they say, I think, what they're doing is they're setting themselves up for a prophecy that is either correct or wrong. Um, I, I, now, I'm not citing exa specific examples here, but there have mm -hmm. been plenty of examples of the near-death experience and of certain psychedelic experiences. And again, this is not quite what I went to in my book, but there are plenty of examples where people uh, definitely have come back and said, so-and-so is dead. Mm -hmm. um, again, that's not my book's not a book on near-death experiences, so perhaps I shouldn't have brought that up, and perhaps that's my shortcoming. Um, but uh, I... I um, and I do agree with okay. you. There's a lot of there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of uh, chicanery and a lot of uh, uh, wiggle room that people like to build into their statements. There's no denying that. I I just think that if we relegate um, shaman, if we write that entire concept, that entire system, which often has does have tangible results, if we write all that off as just savagery, mm -hmm. I think that's being a bit reductive and throwing out the baby with the bathwater. Well, well, let's let's uh, let's ask a very important question here. How does how do these experiences help mankind? Uh, experiences in particular, in, 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 yeah, you in, have these. Uh, you, 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 go, you, you go down to Brazil, you get yourself stoned on ayahuasca. You're sick as a dog. You have these. See, the, I, these I have visions. a real problem with you. Keep on using the word stoned. I mean, that's not that's not what this is. No, there's nothing recreational about ayahuasca. I mean, this it's it's a disgusting. Uh, so why do, so why do people so why do people do it? Certainly, not. it's not recreational. They do it for they do it for a spiritual enlightening. You look at people who have who have actually been able to beat addiction with psychedelic substances. There's a John Hopkins study going on right now about people using psilocybin mm -hmm. mushrooms to help them with addiction. People who are in terminal stages of death are using psilocybin mushrooms to help them accept the reality of the fact that they're going to die. There is a strong medicinal component to this. Ayahuasca is considered a medicine by the people in the Amazon. The but Amazon it's, not, it's not considered a medicine by Western society. So why does Western society need the ayahuasca in order to have a spiritual experience? We've got to take our break. We'll be back. Don't go away. You have heard of the X-Zone? Now watch it on Simo TV, plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand, worldwide and more. Does this sound like tomorrow's television? Well, it is, but you can have it today, right now. It is Simul TV. Simul TV offers what the others only wish they could provide. 15 exclusive channels like X-Zone, Sci-Fi and Horror. We are worldwide. No other provider offers that. 500 built-in video games. No need to have an extra expensive system. We have them included. Free video on demand. Live streaming events from around the world. Interactive online network and much more. Tomorrow's TV today. Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at simultv.com. Do it today.
The new non-fiction book, Razor of Madness, is similar to cult movies like Clockwork Orange, Dragon's Tattoo, or The Other Side of Hell. Wayne Morin Jr. and Thomas Lee Howe will expose widespread and systematic deficiencies in this thought-provoking tell-all novel. Mind control rages among scholars in law schools. Human rights are ignored while thought reform and mental manipulation are accepted practices used as behavior modification. Dr. Louis Jolion West comes to mind. Media and public scrutiny shows that United States mental hospitals are in fact destructive murder industries. Razor of Madness Expose Novel details this epidemic through an in-depth professional and personal investigation. For decades, there has been a revolving door policy that still releases killers and pedophiles back into society. The maestro of mind control continues to haunt America to this very day. Razor of Madness is available in paperback or as a downloadable ebook at Amazon.com. I'm William S. Peckham. If you enjoy a good mystery with a touch of the paranormal, then you'll love my novel, From Out of the Woodwork. It's the story of a young Toronto contractor, Sean Kennedy, who buys derelict homes, guts them, and turns them into multifamily dwellings, slums just waiting to happen. When Sean buys 29 Livery Lane, the house fights back. Former owners unexpectedly come out of the woodwork as he starts the destruction. The apparitions come to him when he touches old books, reads hidden letters, rummages through old boxes, finds a locket or reads a discovered manuscript of a murder mystery. From Out of the Woodwork will take you from 1899 to the horror of the World Trade Center, September 11, 2001. Check out From Out of the Woodwork on my website, www.williamspeckham.com. Joshua Cutchin is our guest this hour. Explanation: www.joshuacutchin.com. All right, let's forget about the uh, the near death experiences. Let's forget about the uh, the ayahuasca, and because uh, to me it makes no sense, and I can't understand why people would go down to Brazil in order to have the spiritual experiences, and if they need to go somewhere else to use a a chemical enhancer in order to have a spiritual experience. What does that say about their spirituality in general? I mean, there is, well, that, okay, that's, uh, that, that's true. Uh, there are not a lot of, uh, there are not a lot of Christians going down to do the ayahuasca experience. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I'm not doing that. And again, I, part of the reason that I haven't taken psychedelics is because I, I feel like I've got a rewarding spiritual life. There you go. Um, but uh, I, I, I think that certain people, again, who are in the throes of certain things clinching onto their lives, that might be the only out for them. I mean, the, the clinical uh, studies on the use of Ibogaine, which mm-hmm. is a root from Africa in terms of helping people with heroin addiction, is, is not up for debate. I mean, there are medicinal uses for these, for these sort of things. Um, and if somebody can come out of that uh, with a with a uh, better understanding and a better appreciation and improved life. I, I don't think it's up to me to really, you know, judge that. Um, so anyway, we, 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 we don't necessarily have to keep on sure. talking about this sort of thing. But, okay. Uh, so let's talk about, uh, let's talk about Bigfoot smells there. That's a good topic. It'll get us away from that. Uh, what odors are reported in Bigfoot encounters? 
Uh, well, you know, uh, so after A Trojan Feast, I ended up writing uh, The Brimstone Deceit, which was the second book, which sort of looks at a lot of the uh, different smells that are encountered in, in a lot of these uh, paranormal events or alleged paranormal events, because, you know, I still like to maintain a healthy degree of skepticism. Sure. Um, and, uh, you know, th there are certain patterns that you see. Um, uh, a, lot of the, a lot of the smells tend to be smells involving entropy, so uh, combustion, decay. Um, the smell of sulfur and hydrogen sulfide and other sort of sulfur compounds is a smell that you run into in a lot of these encounters. But, you know, the Bigfoot smells really do tend to run the gamut and in general are a little bit more animalistic. Uh, you'll find, you know, skunk smells, uh, uh, rot, uh, sorry, skunk skills, smells, decay smells. Um, you know, one of my favorite examples because it was so uh, so graphic was this uh, account of a gentleman who spotted a Bigfoot and claimed that the smell reminded him of when he was helping uh, give birth to lambs as as a farmer and whenever someone would get whenever someone whenever one of the sheep would give birth to a, a stillborn lamb it was like that smell mm -hmm. which is like the most the most revolting description of a smell i can imagine um but you know it's interesting because alongside you know uh, accounts of demons and accounts of uh, of you know ufos ufo occupants um you will find this smell of hydrogen sulfide uh what, what a lot of people would equate with sulfur now again, I, I think some people would say that oh, he's writing written this book called *The Brimstone Deceit*, and he's a he's a professed Christian. He's probably approaching this from the demonic angle. Not really, at least not in the sort of way that you know, sort of, uh, sort of good versus evil dichotomy that you know Christianity and Judaism have decided to per perceive the spirit world in. Um, but I think it's interesting that you see this recurring uh, smell of sulfur, specifically hydrogen sulfide, which is that rotten egg smell that anybody knows. Um, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I think that if you wanted to choose a smell that would be noticed um, by human beings more than any other smell, you would choose hydrogen sulfide. We're we're extremely sensitive to it. It's one of the scents that we're most sensitive to. Um, it's 0.47 parts per billion is the level at which human beings can detect this compound. Right. Uh, so, for example, if, if if you were to take a drop of ink into the back of a tanker truck full mm -hmm. of water or, or something like that, that would be twice that concentration. Oh. Uh, so we so we really are hydro, really really are uh, wired to to notice that smell. So I think that's not an insignificant uh, factor when a lot of people uh, report uh, smells during anomalous encounters. Why don't you? Th why do you think that when it comes to Bigfoot, the smoking gun has not been found, as with any other aspect of the paranormal? Um. I could sit here and tell you the things that the cryptozoologists like to say. Oh, you know, well, have you ever found a deer carcass in the woods? Well, yeah, deer I carcass have. In the woods, they tend to. Yeah. No. Hey, hey look, I'm I, I'm definitely yeah. I'm definitely skeptical of, of that ex explanation, mm -hmm. because here's the thing: people have found those. Yep. Even though it's rare, people have found deer carcasses. Not so much, but bear carcasses. People have found those. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think it's there's some there's something significant to the fact that. Uh, that uh, a lot of the alleged hair samples come back as being humans. I, I suspect that if there is an objective reality to Bigfoot, it is not a giant flesh and blood ape. I think that we're dealing with something a, a lot weirder. Um, and, you know, some well, people want to say, what, oh, it's I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, what can be weirder than that? Oh, uh, I mean, it's some sort of some sort of uh, spirit phenomena, some sort of interdimensional thing. I mean, a lot of hypothetical things, but um, but I mean, plenty of stranger ideas than the, the fact that there's a giant undiscovered primate running around oh, out there. But if the, but, but if you're sorry, saying it could be, you know, something interdimensional, 
or spiritual, wouldn't there be more of these creatures with different descriptions out there? Why would there only be one that matches the description of Bigfoot? Oh, no, there are plenty of different descriptions. If you look at different, I mean, the, the, the archetype is the same, which, again, mm-hmm. I think that perhaps this, we might be dealing with some sort of collective unconsciousness thing here. But the archetype of the wild man is the same. But facial descriptions differ from continent to continent, even within regions of the United States. The smells, I mean, again, the hydrogen sulfide is a very common smell, and there's certain, certain subsets. But the smells differ from time to time. The sizes differ from time to time. If you look at the evidence for uh, the, what's known in the southeast of the U.S. as the skunk ape, mm-hmm. um, um, they tend to have very different footprints than you know the the Pacific Northwest Sasquatch. So, no, I mean, what what I kind seems... of meant what I meant what mm-hmm. I kind of meant when I said that was, you know, I, I agree with you. There are, there are many descriptions of a Bigfoot depending where you are. And an excellent example was the one you used with the skunk ape. But if we're talking about an interdimensional species, would there not be? many other different types of these interdimensional species that we would be aware of or we would get these reports of instead of just the limited number of species or anomalies or strange things, monsters, fairies that have been cataloged, in my opinion, way too much in the largest septic tank that mankind has ever created called the Internet. I mean, yeah, but I, I think that if you look at – so I think that what we have, have done as, as sort of a people in the paranormal culture have lost sight of is is they've been trying to silo things too much. I mean I I personally have a problem with the term interdimensional because it just – it to me sounds – it just sounds like a, a, something you can write off. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know what to do. So it's, it's like the, uh, the thinking man's version of therefore aliens, I guess. I think that – I think that if you start to look at this as um, – well, one of two things. I think if you start to look at all these phenomena as coming out of the same soup, whatever that might be, um, again, I, I personally feel that if you look at um, if you look at a lot of older uh, literature on the fairy fates, there are a lot of analogs to a lot of cryptid creatures that we see. There's obviously analogs uh, to uh, to sort of the fairy lore and the UFO lore, but. Um, but I think that that was a much more perceptive description of whatever we're seeing. Now, what what that is, I don't I don't know. Um, I don't know if there is an objective objective experience to it, but I do know that there is um, there is a connectivity between a lot of these things that I don't think a lot of people are addressing. The second thing um, that I would say is that I I personally suspect that. A lot of what people see in a lot of these anomalous encounters, if they are indeed connected, um, has a lot to do with uh, the percipient as much as it does with the, an actual objective aspect of the phenomena, which is why I, I personally like to talk about the psychedelic experience, because mm-hmm. I think in a lot of cases, especially in the UFO and fairy experience, uh, there are a lot of things about that experience that seem uh, seem part and parcel um, with that sort of altered state of consciousness. But I suspect that we as human beings, in terms of our expectations, um, are trying to observe, trying to figure out, as we as we look at something genuinely anomalous, what it could be. And that therefore we start grafting our own expectations, culturally and individually, upon whatever we're seeing. That what really we're doing is we're catching a glimpse behind the curtain, and we can't, in some sort of Lovecraftian way, really wrap our heads around what we're looking at. And we, we bring something uh, to the dance uh, 
as my friend Greg Bishop would say, Greg is, has uh, sort of is the, one of the pioneers behind this idea of uh, of the fact that we perhaps help co-create whatever we experience in these anomalous encounters, even if even if it's some um, you know even if there isn't an objective truth to it, yeah. even if it's just people having some sort of in this case, I'll use that if, word hallucination. All right, I've got, I've got to cut we you off here because we're too. getting way too, uh, you know, I've only got about 53 seconds left. But my, right. my, my point is, is that if these, these, if Bigfoot, UFOs, alien abductions, these spiritual quests that people are so determined to take are so significant to mankind, then why aren't more people paying attention to it to try and find these answers. Why is it the amateur that is doing it and not the seasoned professional scientist or medical doctor? Well, I think the average person has so much more on their plate that they can't take the time to, to look at this, for one. And I think that there's you know such a stigma that's developed around these things, too, uh, that they don't get much intelligent research. Luckily, there are some people who are looking to psi phenomena and to consciousness effects that are actually doing good scientific uh, work, but uh, that's not the average person, that's for sure. I want to thank you for joining us tonight, Joshua and Exonation. Our guest this hour has been Joshua Cutchin. Uh, no, I'm sorry, Exonation. I don't agree with taking anything that will emulate spiritual experiences or otherwise, because if you need to take um, an elixir like ayahuasca to have a to have a spiritual experience, how credible can you actually classify that experience as being? Come on, use your brains, Exonation. You're smarter than that. Stay away from drugs of any kind. We'll be back on the other side of this break. Whatever you do, don't go away. And why would you listen to some guy that lives in the middle of a forest in a primitive, ma primitive manner? It makes no difference. It makes no sense to me. It really doesn't. We'll be back. Don't go away. Modern Esoteric, Beyond Our Senses by Brad Olson, consummates the lifeology story about where humanity originates. It is the lost continents, the primitive wisdom, the mythos of creation, and the rethinking of ancient history as we are taught in academia. There is much more to the story than what we have been told. As this is the first book in the Esoteric series, Modern Esoteric starts at the beginning of time and accelerates up to this modern age. Future Esoteric is book two in the series and takes a forward-looking position ahead of today with an open and honest examination of the ET issue and various unexplained phenomena. To discover the writings of author Brad Olson, visit www.bradolson.com. That's www.bradolson.com. Are you or is someone you know struggling with addictions, depression, anxiety, relationships, low self-esteem, lack of confidence, grief, success, and prosperity? Do you know that your subconscious belief plays a big role in the outcome of your hard work? We can help you permanently change the beliefs that may be the reason for your struggles and failures. We care about getting you the return on your investment and the results you are looking for. We can help you be free of the limitations of your past and in realizing your highest potential. We work with people by phone and Skype. 
For more information, visit us at www.ritasoman.com. That's www.ritasoman.com. Do you think you have energy problems in your home? Do you feel better when you're away than when you're home? Joey Korn is a global leader in the world of dowsing who specializes in personal energy clearing and space clearing. He can help you create an ideal energy environment in your home no matter where you live in the world. Learn about his remote spiritual house cleaning services and much more at www.dowsers.com. You can get Joey's book, Dowsing, A Path to Enlightenment, as well as other dowsing books and tools, Kabbalah books, and Walter Russell books. Joey's work is really amazing. Go to dowsers.com right now. That's D-O-W-S-E-R-S dot com or call 1-877-DOWSING. That's 1-877-369-7464.